Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal Part 29 of N, Intro to SSH. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials I wrote over at bartb.ie forward slash ttt. This originally aired as part of Nocillacast episode 510, hosted at potfeet.com. I'm Bart Bouchotts, and the other voice you're about to hear is Alison Sheridan, host of the Nocillacast podcast. All right, now do we get to play? Is it time for Taming the Terminal? It is time for Taming the Terminal, part 29 of N, where we're going to introduce the Secure Shell, or SSH. I have actually really wanted to know more about this, so I am Good. excited. Good. So I can do it up, sometimes, but I don't. I just make a mess of it, and then I run away. <laughs> well, hopefully there'll be no more running away then. All right. So we can solve that. So up until now, for the last sort of six episodes, we've been describing what I would call the infrastructure of the internet. You know, we looked at the first three layers in detail, and then we looked at two protocols sitting up on the fourth layer, the the application layer. We looked at DHCP and DNS. And even though they're in that top layer, they're still kind of part of the infrastructure rather than actual typical layer four applications. So we're now moving into the more normal thing you're going to find in layer four, which is actual user-facing things. And the first one we're going to look at is, I would say, the workhorse of your average sysadmin. It's the secure shell or SSH. So, at its very simplest level, SSH allows you to execute commands on a remote computer. Uh, But because it actually has a whole architecture to do that securely, SSH has actually sort of expanded into the tool that does way more stuff. Because if you need to do something securely, why not piggyback off the security SSH gives you, and instead of reinventing the wheel, just kind of tunnel through SSH? And so if you're being ungenerous, you could say that SSH has become sort of a fridge oven, you know, something, you know, one thing that people have tried to make do everything. On the other hand, I think actually, no, it's actually really sensible that if you have a technology that's really good at making a secure connection, just use that technology for lots of things. So today we're going to look at what everyone thinks of with SSH, which is just running a command on another computer. And then next time, and possibly the time after that, depending on how we get on time-wise, we're going to look at all the other stuff it does, as well as the obvious. And it's actually some quite useful stuff. Cool. All right. Okay, so let's... We need to get some terminology into our head. So let's just say that the SSH protocol allows one computer running an SSH client to securely connect to another running an SSH server. So, in other words, SSH is a client-server protocol. The computer initiating the connection we call the client, so the one connecting from is the client, and the one we're connecting to we call the server. But, you know, when you think server, think of it as a role, not like, oh, I can't do this between one desktop and another desktop. No, 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 no. You know, one of your desktops is playing client, one of your desktops is playing server, right? Don't think big thing in a rack in a data center, right? It's client-server in a much more generic way. Right, it just could be my Mac to Steve's Mac. Exactly. But nonetheless, when we're talking about it, one of them is acting as a client and one of them is acting as a server, and we're going to use that terminology. But don't, you know, it's just two computers. <laughs> okay. Uh, SSH works over TCP. Uh, by default, it works over port 22, but it could work over any port. And the first S in SSH is for secure, and what that should tell you is that by default, anything you do over SSH is encrypted. So unless you go out of your way to cripple SSH, it is encrypted. I, I'm not even sure if it's still possible with the modern versions of SSH, but you could, in theory, tell SSH to use an encryption cipher of no encryption cipher. But that's going out of your way to make a secure connection insecure. So really, for all intents and purposes, SSH is secure. Okay. 
Okay, so a lot of people describe tel- uh, SSH as the, re- the secure replacement for Telnet. Telnet allows you to run commands remotely on other computers and does so without any security whatsoever. It is literally the commands are sent in plain text. So if anyone else on the network can just watch you. So if you imagine logging in over Telnet to a server as root, you just give them the root username and password to everyone else on the network. Yeah, you used to do that all the time, Bart. Everyone did, I know. <laughs> right? Um, to, to, you know, so SSH does that. SSH is a secure replacement for Telnet, but it's more than a secure replacement for Telnet. It does things Telnet could never have dreamt of. Okay. So SSH... You, you could say, oh, but SSH is ancient. It's around since 1995. And in IT terms, that is quite old. But Telnet dates from 1968. <laughs> so, okay. There was a long gap where there was no secure way to do this, right? From so, 68 to 95. Um, also, what was released in 95 is version 1 of the SSH protocol. That's not what we're using today. It had to be redesigned a bit as people discovered some whoopsies in the original design. So nowadays we're using SSH2, which only dates from 2006. So it's getting close to being 10 years old. Some preliminaries. To play along here, we are going to need two computers because there's not really, well, you could SSH to yourself, but it doesn't really illustrate the point very well. So in order to play along, you're going to need two computers which both have SSH installed, and at least one of them is running the SSH service so that it can be it can play the server part in our conversation. You're going to have to have those two computers connected to each other by a network so you can actually talk to them. And the two computers can be any mix of OS X, Linux, or Unix, because SSH is native to all three of those. Uh, since we're a Mac podcast... I'm going to focus on OS X, but Linux people can play along here. So, so does on SSH the Mac, doesn't exist in, in Windows? They got a different protocol for it? There are third-party apps. So you can, you can install SSH, like Putty, P-U-T-T-Y, is a great SSH client ah, for Windows. Right, right. So, but making Windows be an SSH server is more difficult. Okay. Uh, but S- no, Windows is fine as an SSH client. So if you have one Mac and one Windows machine, you can SSH from the Windows machine to the Mac, no problem at all, just install Putty. And Putty is, a f- I'll put a link in the show notes to Putty, actually. It's a lovely free client. Yeah, I remember using that. But you can't SSH from the Mac into the Windows? Into not, Windows unless you in, not unless you install a third-party SSH client on, or SSH server into Windows. And okay. I've never done that, so I don't know how easy that is or isn't. Okay, okay. Good to know. So on OS X, every Mac has SSH installed by default, but it doesn't have the server running by default. So any Mac can SSH to any computer with an SSH server running, but by default, a Mac can't be SSH'd to. So it can send them out, but it can't receive them in until you go into the sharing preference pane and system preferences and turn it on, which is not actually a bad default, to be honest. I would say every Mac I get, one of the first things I do is enable SSH because it allows me to log in and troubleshoot when things go whoopsie. I will talk about that in future episodes. So if you go to your Mac and you click on the little Apple, you go to System Preferences, and then you go down to the Sharing tab, you won't find something called SSH. What you will find is something called Remote Login. And when you click on it, it then says that uh, if it's on, log into this computer remotely type SSH blah. So in other words, it, it is SSH, it just doesn't call it SSH because that would be too easy. Not, not quite sure why they did that, but anyway. So that's why you need to have the check marks next to remote login. 
And then it says allow access for, and then you can either list users or just say all users. And the default in OS X is to allow administrators to SSH and only administrators. So, Bart, here's something really interesting. You show in the screenshot in the show notes to click the lock to prevent further changes, which makes sense that you would have to check that for something like this. I Mm -hmm. didn't have to check it. Well, then you don't have the option wherever it is set to automatically lock all preference panes. That's sitting somewhere in the security. But I have lots of preference panes that ask me to click that lock. Like if I go into users and groups, for example, and I want to add a new user, I've got the lock there. Interesting. So it's not defaulted to be on. For sure. Probably you would think not remote actually. login would be something you'd want to have a lock on, wouldn't you? I would, yeah, <laughs> to be honest. That's odd. Okay. Now, if you were logged in as a non-admin, you would have to type in your admin password to get to that lock, but you're that obviously logged in as an admin. Yeah. But, you know, I had to, but I, I have a setting set somewhere to say that all preference paint should always be locked. So I have to click that padlock on every single preference pane, which I quite like, but some people find onerous. Yeah, that would drive me nuts. Maybe you're going to talk about this, but I noticed that it says uh, remote login on now, and it says to Mm -hmm. log into this computer remotely, type SSH Allison at 10.0.1.6. So that's even though I checked administrators, it's saying you have to log in as Allison, which is my current login. Well, Allison is your administrator user, right? Well, there's more than one. Okay, well, or they're just saying the if problem. you want to do into yes. this account, then yes. use Allison. Okay. Yeah. So right. in other words, it's actually Apple being very nice and telling you what the command would be to get into your account remotely, okay. which is nice of them. Yeah. But you could change that to any of your other admin users. And so by default, it's only allowed for administrators. If you do what some people consider bad practice and run as an administrator, like I do and Allison does, then you don't have to change the defaults. If you run as a non-admin user, you're going to have to add yourself in. Mine's uh, defaulted to me, not administrators, but I may have mucked in it before. Like I know I have file sharing and printer sharing turned on, for example, okay. in that it's same this, this Mac is quite vanilla, uh, which is why I podcast from it. I haven't messed around with it much, and it, it had administrators set by default. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so that is now enabled. So you make, on at least one Mac, you got to have this, or at least one computer has to be allowing it SSH in, or we can't continue any further. So in terms of the examples I put up, I am going to give the examples for me logging in from my Mac to my file server, which is at the IP address 192.168.10.20. Replace 192.168.10.20 with whatever your computer you're logging into is. Well, shoot, I'm going to have to turn this on on another Mac if I want to play along, aren't I? You kind of are, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, you just keep talking while I go into screen sharing to my Mac Mini, maybe. Oh, that's a good one to pick. Yeah. Hopefully this isn't going to... Let's note the timestamp right now when Allison disconnected the service because she switched computers. (laughs) So far it looks okay. All righty. Well, whenever you're ready, because actually the next thing in the show notes is we're going to do it. Okay. Well, let me put... Uh, So the very simplest thing you can do with SSH is to run a single command on a different computer. And the way you do that is SSH space username at computer... And then as an argument inside single quotation marks, the command you'd like to run. So as an example, the command to get a list of all running processes on my file server is SSH Bart at 192.168.10.20. And then inside single quotes, PS minus EF. And when I run that, I'll be asked for a password, which is the password of the user I'm connecting as on the remote computer. So it's not the password of my user here on this computer. It's 
the password of the user I'm connecting to on the on the distant remote computer. Cool. All right, I've got it done. Okay, and once you do that, you should see a list of processes. Okay, Great. so uh, wait, uh, let me go do it. do it. Let me catch up. Okay. You were talking and doing a good job vamping. So Allison at pod feet. No, Allison at. <laughs> so so on. Ten dot zero dot one dot seventy five. Yeah, authentic- authenticity cannot okay. be established. Good. For now, you're going to type yes, and then I'm going to explain why. Okay. It's uh, so to read it to everybody. The aut- authenticity of this host cannot be established. RSA key fingerprint is, and there's a giant hexadecimal number. Are you sure you want to continue connecting? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes, and then it should run and list you all the processes. And uh, if you do it after your password. Oh, I forgot the word command. Oh, so you've, Wait, oh, in that case, you have. Was a I remote. supposed to have written command? Well, the, the command was ps minus ef. Oh, oh, sorry. Remember, I was doing something else while you were working. So uh, if, type exit and then do it again. Okay. All right, and single quote ps minus ef. And what for everybody else who was listening when I wasn't? What does that do again? It's the list of processes and minus efs basically means show me them all, not just mine. Okay. Which goes way back to like part two or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got a bunch of glop on screen now. Okay. What you should have noticed is that the second time you connected, you didn't get that authenticity warning. That's correct. I did not. You did not. So let's look at that warning because that warning is important. All right. It's all to do with the S in SSH, i.e. the secure bit. So if you're connecting to a remote computer, you're handing over your username and password to that remote computer. So it's probably important you have some sort of confidence that you're not handing it to a man in the middle. Mm, there you go. Um, so that's the same problem we have on the internet. And on the internet, we solved it using HTTPS, which is this whole idea where we use certificate authorities to create certificates, which the web server has. And then we have trust anchors installed in our computer, the root certificates. And then by using the trust anchors in comparison with the certificates, which were issued by the certificate authorities, we can verify the server is really potfee.com or whatever. It works, and it's really good for the internet. But it puts up quite a strong barrier to entry. Imagine if every single computer you wanted to SSH to, you had to go and apply for a certificate for. That would be a disaster. It would mean that SSH was only for corporate IT. It means that regular people just couldn't use it because we can't all go around buying certificates. So for that reason, SSH adopted a completely different model. And it's basically an anarchistic model, not in the negative sense of the word, in the sense that there is no authority, there is no central authority at all, which is what anarchy really means. And the way it works is like this. So when every, every when you install the OS on a computer or when you install SSH into the OS for the first time, the computer creates randomly a public and private key, a key pair. And it keeps one half private and one half public. And whenever, you, whenever someone connects to you, you hand them your public key and they use that to verify that you are who you say you are. But of course, the first time you connect, you don't have a copy of the public key which is why you got the warning once. Okay. And what your computer did was, once you typed yes, it went, okay, I now know that the correct key for that IP address is this big long load of hex. And it saved that. It saved that oh. into a text file. And so in future, every time you connected that IP address, what was actually happening is that your computer is going to make the guy on the other side prove that he has the private key that matches that big long ugly public key. And if the guy on the far side can meet that, can do that proof cryptographically, 
then you're going to go ahead and connect without any sort of warnings. So if, if, that, man in if, the that middle, machine, if that machine changes its IP address, though, I'd get queried again? You would, because it's, it's, it's matching the key to the IP, which is why it's a really good idea to have static IPs. As in, have your DHCP server always give the same IP to anything you want to SSH into. Okay. Now, imagine a man in the middle shows up. And so that man in the middle is pretending to be the IP address or the DNS name you're connecting to. You try to challenge him based on the public key you have on file. He doesn't have the private key because he's a man in the middle. He will not be able to convince your computer that he is real, and you'll get a different warning. And you'll see the different warning if you scroll down in the show notes. And the different warning comes with, like, at signs all around it to make it, like, auga, auga. Oh. Right? Warning! Remote host identification has changed. It is possible that someone is doing something nasty. And I'm directly quoting here. And it's in all caps, so I'm shouting. Someone could be <laughs> eavesdropping on you right now. Man in the middle attack. It is possible that, it, that the host key has just been changed. So, in other words... If the computer cannot verify that the key it has on file matches what's out there now, it gives you this warning. But it doesn't mean that there is an attack. It means that there could be an attack. And you have to ask yourself, did I reinstall the OS on that computer? Oh, yes, I did. Okay, this is normal. This is not a problem. Okay, okay. Right, has the IP address changed or something? Okay, this is normal. This is not a problem. But you should always stop and think when you see that warning. And if you do see that warning... You, the only way to get by that warning is to delete the key from the special file we're going to mention. So when you logged into that com- to that computer over SSH, it would have you would have typed yes, and then it would have said permanently added blah RSA key to a list of known hosts would have been the next line, and then it would have given you all those processes. You probably didn't see that because all those processes scrolled by. Uh, so I should be able to go to the top and see it. This is the. So straight after you Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yes. right. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Permanently added 10.0.1.75 RSA to the list of known hosts. Okay. So the list of known hosts is saved in a text file called tilde slash dot SSH slash known underscore hosts. So we can have a look at that. So if you say cat tilde slash dot SSH known underscore hosts. Wait, you I, need, I need to ask a question first. You can. I thought when I SSH'd into a server that I would now be in a shell inside that server, but it looks like I'm back on my Mac. Okay, that's because what we've done now is we have just issued a remote command. What we're going to do next is a remote shell. So SSH and remote shell are not the same thing. They are. They can just be used to either issue a command or to get a shell. So there are two modes of operation. Either just do this and get back to me, or, oh, just give me a remote shell. Okay, so I'm still, I, I wanted to verify I'm still on my Mac. So now if I, if I issue this command, I'm talking to my Mac or am I about yes. to talk to the other Mac? No, no, you're on your own Mac. So what we did was we didn't give you a remote shell. We just asked you, we just told SSH, run this one command, let me know the output, and then you're finished. Okay. So you should have a file which contains probably only, well, I don't know how much SSHing you've done from that computer. But there will be one line for every computer you've SSH'd to since you installed OS X. So how do I open it again? Remember, I had my question. Uh, right? Well, the easiest thing to do is just print it out with cat space tilde slash dot SSH slash known underscore hosts. Okay. And it should just oh, print them all out. bunch of glop. There is, but at the start of every line is an IP address. So you should see that there's a yes. line in there starting with... And then it says SSH-RSA, and then it gives you a whole big bunch of glop. Yeah, right? That does. whole big bunch of glop is actually the public key. 
That is the cryptographic key that is used to identify that server. And what you should notice is it's kind of hard to guess that. <laughs> yes. Right? So it's pretty actually damn good security. They could have made okay. this a little easier to read. Well, it's generally not... You, you generally don't have to read it. The only time you ever have to go in here is if you change the key on the far side. So if you reinstall OS X on a computer you've been on before or reinstall Linux on a computer you've SSH to before, because then you get this big warning thing, ooga, ooga, this isn't what I have on file. And the easiest way to fix that is you could copy and paste in the new key, but actually the easiest thing to do is delete the line, which will then make your computer forget it ever talked to that guy before, and then you'll just get to type yes and away you go. So you can't overwrite it and say yes when you get the ooga, huh? It depends on your version of SSH. Modern, the one on OS X would not let me override. The one on okay. Linux generally does. Huh. Interesting. I've got, I've got servers outside of my network, like 69.195.124.121. I'm almost sure I made you SSH into your pod feed stuff at some stage. <laughs> that sounds if like had, it. 69.195, what did you say? 69.195.124.121. I have that one too, so I obviously was SSHing with you to somewhere. Yeah, that sounds like us, doesn't it? It does sound like us debugging something. Yeah. I have loads and loads and loads and loads on my computer. There's no like, website configured at this address, but it is Bluehost, so I bet if it's like slash blog or something would do it. No, not quite. Yeah, but the chances are if you SSH'd in, it'll be your files and stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So I wanted to explain that message because I think it's important to understand. It's a kind of a badly worded message, but it's... It is at the basis of the security of SSH that it basically the, the only moment, the only opportunity an attacker has to get you is on the very first time you connect to a server. From that point on, you're protected because you now have on file the correct answer and no one can spoof it. I have an easier way to fix it than editing okay. this file. Just change the IP address. Well, it depends. If, if, or usually what happens is the IP address stays the same and you've reinstalled the OS, so the private key has changed, which means you need to get the new public key in there and right, you see how can I just go in and change the IP address on the on the machine that I put the uh, new OS on okay but okay when you created that new OS a randomly generated new key was made so okay. that text file now has the right IP address and the wrong key it has the old key not the new key right but so if I go to that server yeah if I go to that server and I change its IP address to just something new now it'll oh, be okay, sure. a new pair yeah you could but isn't that it's not that very seems geeky. like a long way around. <laughs> it would work. You're right. It would work. But it seems like a tail wag of the dog sort of yeah, approach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right. It would work. Okay. Okay. Um, it would leave this glop in my in my known host. It would. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I'd be inclined to just delete the line. Yeah. The other thing you'll notice, actually, that error message is actually quite helpful, despite you know, despite its auga nature, because it tells you what line number is the problem. So in my example, it says that the, uh, the correct host key is on line 14. It says offending RSA key in the name of the file, colon 14. In other words, users bart.ssh known hosts, line 14. Hmm. So I could VI that file, type colon 14, type DD to delete one line, type escape colon Q to exit, and I'm done. Colon I w wish I were comfortable enough after how long we've been doing this to actually do what you just said, but I still am not. Well, you can always use nano and just do it, you know, yeah. down, 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 down. I don't do it enough to remember to say nano, you know? I, I know as soon as you said nano, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, nano. Well, you could use text edit, too. 
remember the open command that we learned about a few weeks ago? You could say open tilde slash dot ssh minus e text edit. That I might know how to do. <laughs> so anyway. Okay. So far, so we understand the security model, which generally speaking, you just have to type yes, and that's the end of that. But it's conceivably possible that at some stage in your life, you're going to get that giant auga warning. So now you're forearmed. Uh, the most common thing to do is not actually to run one single command like we just did. The most common thing is actually to get a remote shell. And effectively, what you're doing is you're turning the terminal window on one Mac into the terminal window on another Mac. And any commands you run in that terminal window are now happening on the other computer. And the syntax for that is very straightforward. SSH space username at computer. Enter. Oh, the mistake I made at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you just do that, you can, away you go. Now, another little shortcut that's useful. If your username is the same on both sides, uh-huh. you can leave it out. So oh. if you're Allison on both computers, you could just say SSH and then the IP address and hit enter. Okay. And one final thing to mention... Uh, so I said that by default, SSH uses port 22. Right. But it doesn't have to. And a lot of hosting providers will avoid using port 22 because every script kitty on the planet is checking port 22 for SSH. And every script kitty on the planet is running scripts against port 22, sending in common combinations of username and password. You know, hmm. John, one, two, three, four, five. John, password, you know, all these kind of common variants. And so if you run an SSH server on the standard port and you look at your logs for failed login attempts, you will see hundreds a day. Hmm. And a very simple solution is just don't be on port 22. It won't deter a determined attacker who's targeting you, but it will make you vanish off this list run by script kitties everywhere just checking the internet for port 22. Maybe just slow down your internet traffic a little. I mean, not slow down. Get rid of some internet traffic you don't need. Right. Exactly, and it's just, what if some idiot accidentally genuinely guesses your username and password? Mm. It seems unlikely if you have a good one, but it might happen. I mean, you know, the whole point of random is it's random. So I would say, you know, if you have an SSH server on the internet, mine are never on port 22. But if the server is not on port 22, how do you connect to it? you got to tell SSH where it actually is, because it's going to try port 22 and fail. So the flag we need is minus P for port number. So it's SSH space minus P. So imagine you put it on 2222, which is a very silly place to put it, by the way. But imagine we did, it would be SSH minus P, 2222, and then the IP address. How would you change the port number where SSH is on your server? That would be up to the person running the server. On Linux, that's quite easy to do. There's a configuration file. You just go tweak it. I haven't done it on a Mac, so I don't know. Okay. Okay, so you don't have SSH open then, or running, or... I do on my Macs, but my Macs aren't on the public internet, so it's fine. Oh, you said on the public internet. Okay. Yes. So my web server, right, has SSH. That's how I administer my website. You can go to port 22 on bartb.ie. They're right out there. Okay. Okay. So I tried to to use SSH when I was running um, the VPN server inside my house, and I never once succeeded at getting inside my network and looking at my other computers. Not once. Couldn't get it to work. Kirshen well, sat there happily doing it with her VPN client, her VPN server and client that she had, and I could never get in. Made me sad. I don't know enough about the specifics to even try to offer yeah. you a solution, but given that Kirshen wasn't able to help, I'm guessing it was probably... <laughs> Who was sitting right next to me. somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're basically going to leave it there today in terms of learning new stuff. Um, okay. Just to say that, so what we have now learned is the bit of SSH that replaces Telnet. 
And what we're going to do in the next one or two installments is all the other cool stuff it can do. So the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to do... We're going to talk about something which will massively increase the security of SSH and can be described as two-factor auth. But if you do that in public, someone will argue with you. (laughs) This I know because of a thread I accidentally participated in over on... Stack Exchange, but anyway. <laughs> well, actually, Bart. Yeah, and I still think I was right, but goodness me, was that ever an argument and a half. So let's just say that it's way more secure than a password. Uh, so we're going to look at that, and then we're also going to look at something really cool called port forwarding. Oh, yeah. Uh, but th- and then there's one or two other features. I haven't quite decided how nerdy we're going to get. Okay. And I haven't quite decided if we're going to get it squeezed into one or squeezed over two, but trust me, there's cool stuff on the way. All right. That sounds like fun. Well, this, was, this was cool. I definitely learned some more about SSH. Excellent. And hopefully the, the various funny messages that popped up won't scare people anymore. <laughs> Good. Right. Okay. Well, I think we're on again in two-ish weeks, isn't it? Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, until then, happy computing. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at bartb.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartafisser.net.